0: Hello and welcome to Born to Dance, the podcast for Matthew Bourne's New Adventures that explores and questions why dance moves, inspires and excites us. My name is Paul Smithhurst, resident artist for New Adventures and your host. Each week I will be joined by members of our extended family to talk about their journey through dance and how it has impacted their lives. I struggled when it came to finding the right words to introduce today's guest. Where to start? With her prolific career as a powerhouse freelance contemporary dancer, working with some of the best choreographers and companies in the country? Or with her breathtaking and captivating performances in iconic lead roles for Matthew Bourne's New Adventures, dance with utter beauty and passion? How about her career as a rehearsal and resident director, staging productions and leading the company through the highs and lows of touring life. Or perhaps with her current role as resident artist, where she uses her inspirational wealth of experience, coupled with her generous, thoughtful, and kind nature to support and nurture the next generation of dancers, teachers, and community artists. It was really, really tricky. So I settled on this. She brings joy to the lives of all she touches, whether as a performer, a teacher, a friend, a colleague or a mother. She radiates love and kindness and positivity in all she does, which is what we all need right now. She is, of course, Kerry Viggin. Welcome to Born to Dance, my friend.
1: Oh my goodness, thank you so much for an introduction. I'm actually beaming (laughs) and I had a moment of is that really me? Did I really do all that? Do I really do all that? Um, It's really fantastic to be here today.
0: It's so nice to have you with us. And disclosure for the people listening, Kerry is like one of my best friends. So um, it was so nice to write that introduction for you and to really think about your amazing career and how diverse it's been, but also what you bring to dance and the dance world and to people. And I really think that is just so much joy. So thank you. And I know a lot of people love to bask in that joy. How are you today? Are you okay?
1: I'm really good, thank you. I'm really good. I loved coming here actually this morning, getting away from the house, Mm -hmm. public transport, back to life. Mm -hmm. You know, after the last couple of years and being out and about has been really, really nice. I've got a little spring in my step.
0: Love it, and it's a beautiful day. It's gorgeous. Thank you so much for travelling in to see me today. I can't wait to delve into our conversation about the love of dance. Uh, Let's begin with this question. When was the last time you danced? Knowing you, it was probably recently. But can you tell us, can you paint the picture?
1: The last time I danced was this morning when I was getting... My son Isaac, who's three, um, dressed for nursery, and we had a little getting dressed dance, which was very Matthew Bourne, (laughs) very very current, and (laughs) Matthew Bourne for sure. Yeah, we had a little dance, getting him dressed, um, a little boogie in the front room. It was lovely, and Jonah, my older son, joined in too. So,
0: so nice. What did you dance to? Was there any music on, or was it just like an impromptu?
1: There was music, it was a piece of instrumental music that was a ukulele um, and I have no idea what it was actually because Jonah, my son, put it on. Alexa as he often does and it's actually a way that we find lots of new music that we like <laughs> um, because he just goes and asks for random things you know random pieces of music along with pieces of music that he knows and so we often find lots of new gems actually to listen to and dance to
0: mm. I love that and what a beautiful image for us all just you and your boys dancing you know to start the day and I think that's what this podcast is is all about really it's about the everyday moments that we can that we can enjoy dancing as well as those moments that are, are on stage so I want to take a little trip down memory lane and we ask all of our guests to revisit the first time they encountered dance can you bring to life your earliest memory of dancing for us
1: Yeah, so I think I've always danced. You know, it's something that's just always been in me. It was a natural instinct as soon as I heard music to move. So as a child, it was very natural for me to just move. I hadn't seen it. I hadn't encountered it. It was just something that I did because it came from within it was an it was an instinctual thing it was about a real kind of hum you know human moment music move mm-hmm. so for me that 's where it began. The most impressionable moment that I saw dance as a really young person was when uh, my parents used to have. These parties at home, they'd have, you know, all their friends over. After dinner, the music would go on and the, the table would get pushed away. And then they'd just be dancing and chatting. And I wasn't supposed to be up. I was supposed to be in bed. And so I used to just get out of bed and sit at the top of the stairs by the banisters <laughs> and look down and listen and watch it was really magical and it was exciting because one, I was supposed to be fast asleep in bed, but two, this joy and this communication and this sort of laughter and seeing people moving together and it felt like really the first experience that I had of knowing how powerful dance is at connecting us and the joy that it brings so for me, that has always stayed. And I didn't even really see anyone do, do dancing. I just saw these shapes moving and I could just tell what, what was happening. And it was also the smell and the sound and the music. It was kind of 60s music on the tape player and, you know, the chink of glasses. And you could see it now in a movie or on stage actually um but it was magical and I think mm. it really resonated for me this idea of dancing and communication joy but also this this kind of magic mm. this atmosphere
0: mm. yeah it's su- that's such a beautiful beautifully evoked image and I guess also there's this image of you it's a very cute image a little mischievous. Very big and looking down over the banister, <laughs> you saw this thing happening, but you probably didn't know that it was dance. You probably didn't have that vocabulary or that understanding of you, you just it was just a very accepted thing. Like, oh, yeah, this was happening. When so, then talk us through when did you start to understand maybe dance as a form, as a thing that you could go and do and learn and. Did you go to dance classes? Like, how did how did that all start to come about?
1: Yeah, so I guess you know my route into dance is what you might imagine as quite traditional in a way. I was a mover; mm-hmm. that's just how I was when I was little. You know, my mum says I was just always dancing around the living room, in the kitchen, music was on, I was just dancing. And so she wanted to channel that in some way. So I guess my first, my first experience of, of a class was because my mum sent me to a local ballet class in a, in a church hall where we lived. And I can't really remember much about it other than I loved it. And, um, and then it kind of grew from there, really. And then my older cousin... She danced too and so we moved and my mum started to send me to the same school as my cousin went to, Sharon. She was really, really passionate as well and I think that was probably an infectious thing. She was older than me, I really looked up to her Um, and we went to this incredible school in South Croydon because I am a Croydon girl called Alexander Academy of Dance and Drama and my teacher was Monica Wilde and she was one of those really exceptional dance teachers as there are many out there who really gave her all to children and adults of all ages giving them the opportunity to dance and enjoy um, and be inspired by Movement, but she was also very good at seeing those pupils who were gifted and talented and signposting them to other opportunities and allowing them the freedom to grow and flourish within the arts. So that was, you know, my, my poor mum picking picking me up from dancing waiting in the car in the cold and rain in the winter for hours on end I really think about that now actually all the the time that she put into my passion as well which is really incredible all
0: of these little formative things kind of coincidental serendipitous things that kind of link together and feed together into where you are now which is having this incredible career I'm I'm really interested in what you said about about that teacher you know that teacher that really saw something in you and was and was humble enough to, to nurture you and see you blossom and recognize that maybe that meant that she needed to let you go. And, and like you said, signpost you to somewhere else. Mm-hmm. How has that sort of level of care and support influenced what you what you do now?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think one, it has always was the beginning of my passion for teaching. So through her example and role modelling, I discovered a passion for teaching that has always been with me alongside my performing career and beyond. So that's something that I have nurtured from a very young age where I used to assist her in her sort of baby and young classes. I think absolutely it's about seeing people as individuals Mm. and understanding that what they need might be more than you can offer actually and how positive that is to be able to to say but actually there's more, there's so much more out there and you need to go and do this now. I'm always going to be here if you need it, if you need me, but there's so much more out there and I think that has really informed my practice hugely, both as as a teacher and as a performer actually and as an artist, I've always had a really wide and open perspective on things and I think that does come from... From Mrs. Wilde. Oh, yeah.
0: What an amazing woman. Thank you, Mrs. Wilde. I'm going to ask you a cheeky question. Can you tell us about the Shirley Temple look? <laughs> <laughs> There's a picture of you, and it's just an, an yeah. incredible picture of you looking very similar to a young Shirley Temple. What was that all about? What was happening?
1: Oh, my goodness. So, this also links to Mrs. Wilde. And actually, this is when I fell in love with performing. Because okay. up to this point, I'd done, you know, I was doing classes. I was doing ballet class and I started doing some modern and.
0: Tap that technique.
1: Modern and tap, yeah, mm, and sort mm. of technique cl- classes. And Mrs. Wilde put on this really fantastic show at the Stanley Halls in South Norwood. And it was my, probably one of my first or definitely, you know, really memorable experiences of being part of a show and i was shirley temple and i danced to on the good ship lollipop of course (laughs) the classic yeah it was a song and dance number mrs wild was lucky enough to have a really healthy cohort of boys in in the school at the time as well so it it was me and the boys Mm -hmm. um, dancing this number yeah and it was electrifying (laughs) for me I loved it I mean I had a wig I had a wig and this amazing (laughs) costume which my incredible nan made and I just remember that feeling of being on stage, being surrounded by other dancers and and being really inspired by some of the older dancers in the school who were doing amazing numbers. You know, some of those real classics, mm. you know, as well. You know, Forty Second Street and and then the first half I was a Cockney Sparrow in a London ballet. Which I equally loved. I loved it too. And again, my nan made me this incredible costume. And I loved the contrast of both, Mm. which again, I think really informed my love of performing in the arts and why I've always had such a wide perspective. Mm. And again, it kind of comes back to community and how dance, you know, can really build and support community as well so for me that was really really impactful yeah Mm
0: -hmm. so can you tell us was there a defining moment where you went okay this is not just a hobby it's not just a a passion I want this to be my career and then why you chose to go to Rombert school and study contemporary and ballet seeing as you had this really diverse and versatile kind of upbringing in theatre and the entertainment and you know the showmanship if at all what was thought process for you? I
1: I think I was serious about a career in theatre from a very early age actually I think going back to Mrs Wilde she encouraged me to audition to be a junior associate at the Royal Ballet School so there was already this I which which I did and I was a junior associate at the Royal Ballet School I think I was from seven till nine to nine years old and so there was a there was this sense that I was concentrating, I was specialising a little bit in that sort of form and technique, although I did and loved everything else. When we looked at colleges for me to go to and kind of audition for a whole variety of different places, because I knew there was so much that I wanted to do, um, and at that point I had never really experience contemporary dance. So I was looking more at the classical training or the kind of musical theatre all-round training. Mm. When I went into Rombert School, I just had an instinctive feeling that it was the place for me to be. And in the audition, we did a contemporary phrase and I was just blown away by this moment in the audition. And I really felt like I'd accessed a new place within me to feel movement and i wanted to experience more of it i just really had this feeling that it was where i should be and i had the best time Mm. ever the best three years ever at rombay school and i really it really opened up again another another world to me but i always knew that i would hold on to some of those other roots that I'd already made and that love that that never went away so it was something that I always knew that I would hold on to you know that kind of love of musical theatre that love of tap and jazz dance and those other those other kind of forms was you know in a way it was a conscious decision that I knew that I would keep hold of those
0: mm. and and you did and I think a lot of Matthew's work actually has draws on so many of those elements so there, you know you've got you've got this amazing tool kit, haven't you that you were kind of growing on and expanding and I'm going to just delve into your kind of freelance portfolio career which is very so exciting but then you came to new adventures and you got to you know you got to use some of those things to Adds to your performance in in the, those shows.
1: Yeah, and I think that's also that was also a draw. This idea of there is a place where I can utilize all these skills and actually all the this love and all these passions that I have, mm. and use them to to develop as an artist, but also reach and connect audiences. So it felt like a really, really fantastic and perfect fit. Mm.
0: We're going to come onto that in a moment, but I just want to have a little look at your your freelance career when you graduated. And for me, I mean, you you work for so many iconic companies, but you dance for Wayne Sleep. You were in Scottish Dance Theatre. You were in the Snowman. You dance for Michael Clark in Phoenix. I mean, so incredible, so versatile. What did you learn from all of these different experiences, and why was it important for you at that time to explore a more portfolio career?
1: I really, really loved being a freelancer. I loved the, the versatility and the variety that that brought to me. I was just really focused on, on movement. Actually, movement and working with different choreographers and experiencing different processes using my body. Like, you know, I was really, really interested in technique and building and strengthening that, but also the really Varied in different ways to perform and connect to an audience, and each of those experiences that I had, along with many others that kind of reached out into maybe the more commercial world, and um, they allowed me to hone my skills as an as a performer and to understand what was needed in really different situations to reach audiences and to perform my craft mm. as well so you know being able to really grasp somebody's work their vision and to take that and work with that I think is something that I've always really treasured yeah so lots of things also able to meet lots of different people and has taken me into really different sectors Mm. as well different environments to perform in different places in the world and again I think it's again it's about that variety to
0: what's really interesting is now in your role as resident artist and as I said in the introduction you're nurturing and inspiring that next generation of dancer you bring this wealth of experience and you are role modeling what life is like really as as a freelance dancer because it can be quite unnerving to think "Oh, I'm going out into the big into the big wide world now that I've graduated what am I going to do and I think what's really beautiful that you bring to to young people is this sense of of curiosity all coming from this this place of wanting to learn and wanting to grow and I just love that you really role model that to that next generation because you can dip your toe in and try new things and and keep challenging the perception of yourself as a dancer and a performer and you do that so brilliantly
1: absolutely and I think with that variety I mean as lot as well as my experiences professionally I also would go and see lots of different things you know go and see theatre and straight plays and musicals and abstract dance and these phenomenal you know even perform- performance art art galleries visual art visual arts, all of that um, has really impacted who I am as an artist and I think It it means that you're so textured. There's so much. You've got so much to give and so so much experience to hone. So actually, you know, I can do a lot of things, but I really can do a lot of things. Mm. You know, and some of them I dip my toe in, but most of them I dived head first. You know, and completely immerse myself there. Yeah. Did
0: you dive head first when you appeared in the Scatman John video?
1: (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Of course I did. It's one of my favourite
0: little facts that I know about you that other people might not know. In in the video, there you are. You look about 12 and you're in your (laughs) point shoes doing... Yeah, it's so brilliant.
1: Again, I loved that job. I met the best people on that job as well. I had such a great time. And I think it's so important, you know, I'm so privileged that I have been able to have these experiences that have brought me so much joy and that I love. But it was an awesome time, that, because I was actually, I was on tour with Wayne Sleep, and I didn't really realise what I was doing until it came out. And at that time, it was, everything was on MTV. And I remember Wayne Sleep came up to me and he said, oh, I I saw you on MTV, and I, I actually, really didn't realize yeah how huge it was going to ha- be it was going to be mm. that big that song and I mean even now people know it so it was really great for that and it was super fun and what a track
0: what a track Ugh. i won't get you to sing it for us now <laughs> <laughs> we are going to now move into your amazing relationship with new adventures you are next year celebrating your 20th year of working with the company congratulations that is epic take us back to the beginning what was that first connective moment how did you end up you know dancing and doing all the wonderful things that you've done with us
1: wow 20 years that it feels like it's just gone by in a flash actually so I first discovered the company when I was... Actually, when I was studying at Rombear, I was an usher at Richmond Theatre, which to, helped, obviously. Yeah. Big ups um, up
0: to ushers. I've been an usher
1: too. Yeah, I loved it. And it's that, an amazing job. It's a, It's a great job, and I loved that theatre. I worked with really brilliant, fantastic people, but I really made the most of being an usher. I mean, I went to see everything mm-hmm. that was on there, and I loved it. You know, it didn't... Obviously, it was a job, but it also just felt like an education. I just got to see so many different things. At the time, it was Adventures in Motion Pictures, which is what the company was called uh, pre-2002, when it then became New Adventures. They were performing at Richmond Theatre with Highland Fling, and I was just... Blown away by the show and by the performances and the way the story was told. And I was so moved by the show. And I walked away just with this feeling that someday I wanted to do that. And I hadn't really come across that kind of narrative storytelling work before. And so it really gave me this, again, a new perspective on there's other ways to perform. And these really fantastic dancers, I loved the movement, I loved the, the kind of ensemble Movement in Act Two of Highland Fling, all the dancers are sylphs, and and how the story was driven, and it was so clear all the way through, and also what the audience took from it. You know, I was sitting with the audience, and what they took from watching was a huge inspiration to me. So it had such a big impact, and I thought, right. One day I am gonna work for this company, and even better, one day I'm gonna do this show and actually, what's so lovely is that not immediately but many years later, I obviously did go on to work with new adventures and and then I did go on to perform the Sylph in Highland Fling, which is one of you know one of the most memorable roles for me and has a really special place in my heart actually so from that point it was like right I need to I need to follow this company I need to know what they're doing and so I just kept track and obviously they then went on to do Swan Lake Mm. actually after that which which obviously really became huge and then I was off pursuing other things but I always kept abreast of what was going on so then After I was in Scotland with Scottish Dance Theatre, I came back. They had an audition, so I auditioned for the company, didn't get in, and in true, true dancer style, persevered and auditioned again about a year later. And then from that, they then invited me to the next audition. So I don't think there was anywhere for me at that point, but then they invited me to the next audition, which was for Nutcracker. And that was the first show that the company did as New Adventures. So they'd done it previously, but it was then New Adventures. Mm. And um, Scott Ambler, I remember Scott Ambler phoning me to let me know that I'd got a place in the company and Scott um, was a very important part of New Adventures and was an associate artist for the company and um, made lots and lots of incredible roles. I was just so blown away when he called me and said, you know, we'd love to work with you, we'd love to have you in Nutcracker. So that was my first job with the company.
0: And how poignant is that? Because as we're recording this, Nutcracker is going, it's in rehearsals and it's going to do its 30th year tour, which is amazing. I know that the show obviously has a very fond place in your heart. You joined the company and went into Nutcracker and, you know, that was your first job. And you played the role of Clara and you learned that role from... Etta Murphy who's our associate artistic director who created the role can you tell us what that was like learning this I mean it's such an iconic role and it's very Etta how did it feel inheriting that responsibility you know from the legend herself
1: oh my goodness it was incredible actually and really frightening (laughs) and scary all at the same time um, and I felt like a really big responsibility was handed to me it was done really beautifully though so I, ha- I had no experience of the work and the company when I joined I'd been doing mostly abstract work and I hadn't ever really apart from when I was much younger and I did a lot of drama you know I'd never had to portray a character in that way from beginning to end, you know, and have a story and have a truth within me and that that depth of character and to show that to the audience as well. So it was a whole lot of new stuff. So I had to really get into that and really learn what that was. Mm. And at the time I, I was playing a marshmallow, which I adored to be a marshmallow on stage. Who wouldn't want to? And, I know, that,
0: and that iconic oh, costume pink, as well—beautiful
1: mm. pink fluffy hat and tutu—and I just, I just loved the again the team of marshmallows around me. Halfway through the tour, they asked if I would learn Clara, and I was completely blown away. I learned it from Etta throughout the tour, so I didn't go on to perform Clara until the very last week of the UK tour i had my show and um, learning a role from somebody who's created it is the ultimate experience really you get all the information plus the the background and the passion and the love for this role and how she she created it you know with matthew and the rest of the company And just to have that experience, but also the room to find my own way with it too. And that sensitivity of knowing how much I needed from her, but also, you know, giving me the, the, the license to find some of that on my own, I Mm -hmm. think was, is really testament to her as a, as a teacher and somebody who passes these things on. It was role modelling for me because then when I went on to work with Ashley Shaw, for example, teaching her the role of Cinderella, I had that experience as my benchmark. So I wanted to give Ashley everything that I had mm. and to pass it on you know with with respect and with love and all that background allows you as an artist to be as textured and rich with your mm. performance as possible mm.
0: definitely and I think what really strikes me is how much Respects, and it's almost a sacred thing for new adventures this idea of inheritance and legacy and passing on and it's so beautiful this cyclical thing that happens it's really treasured in the company i remember learning from the dear scott ambler may he rest in peace you know just every single nuance and detail in swan lake all the imagery that he would just imbue and, and give to us and then we together um stage swan lake for a subsequent tour and that's how it stays alive yeah. it, when it's so richly brought to life by somebody mm. and then you get this wonderful gift to be able to pass that on to the next generation it's so special
1: it makes me think of Kim from Edward Scissorhands as well and I pass that on to Ashley Shaw and Katie lowenhoff and really ties into what I do now and why I love nurturing the next generation of dancers within the company but also those potential dancers that might come into the company as well.
0: Well that is a beautiful segue to my next question Kerry Biggin which is I'd love you to talk about your current role As a resident artist, we share the role, but you look after talent and development.
1: Yes, so I'm resident artist for the talent development strand. I lead and deliver and facilitate and curate a variety of programs that are about nurturing the next generation of artists, of teachers and choreographers, and for those dancers or, and artists and wider freelancers who might be looking at transitioning out um, of performing and into the sector. And I follow this support sort of all the way through. So I could meet a dancer in, in their training and I could support them all the way through into perhaps when they want to leave performing and um, move into something else within the sector. And for me, it's a really natural progression. Mm-hmm. It, utilizes all my experience all my skills all the knowledge that I have and it it sits with my values and my passion for seeing the potential in others and allowing them to see that for themselves and to grow and develop and to support and advocate for dancers and artists and teachers in a really positive way and I get to work with fantastic people on it but i also get to program and strategically decide where the needs are within within the sector and within the company in terms of dancers and who we see and how we see them
0: so beautifully answered thank you and it's so important the work that you do and uh, i hope that you feel really proud of i know i know firsthand the 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 transformative influence that you've had on these young dancers coming up through the company and it must feel for example Nutcracker being in rehearsals now a lot of them have come through these programs that you have created and led on and that must fill you with so much you know pride and and joy. Kerry we're going to move on to the next section of the podcast where I ask you to tell us about the most impactful piece of dance that that you've seen. And you chose Michael Clark's hmm, that you saw at King's Cross Depot when you were a student. And then you worked for Michael Clark. There's a, there's a theme, there's a recurring theme. I think everyone listening, go and watch something, fall in love with it, and then maybe you'll be in it. You no, know, there's a lot of hard work that happened. Why did you pick that? Yeah,
1: so I found this question so difficult, but I went with this. So Michael's Modern Masterpiece, it blew my mind when I went to see it. It was not in a traditional theatre. It was at King's Cross Depot. The audience was sort of as charged and electric as the performers were on stage. There was such a buzz. It was like going to see a gig. Mm-hmm. It was like going to see a live concert. And so there was something about this electric atmosphere and then these incredibly sublime beautiful dancers on stage with this real beauty and form and technique, this kind of seemingly like quite chaotic performance. And there's so many contrasts within it, you know, to the Rite of Spring, Stravinsky, but then with Sex Pistols and Public Image, this performance, in a way, performance art and real theatricality to it all these different worlds kind of colliding in with these dancers that were just so exquisitely moving. This idea of kind of dance in, a, in an anarchic form, mm, in a way. Subversive. Yeah, and, this, and just this vibe and atmosphere. I've always been fascinated with that. Like, I love going to see live music and watching musicians and seeing actually how they perform as musicians and this real play between being on Mm. in performance and being off like between songs but as an audience member you still see that you can still see them you can still watch them
0: and you said there that you just have this love of music and I know that about you and going to live gigs and that leads us on to our next question which is we ask all of our guests to tell us about their favorite piece of music to dance to and you chose Rodrigo y Gabriela Diablo Rojo And we're going to just listen to a little snippet of that now. Now, i know you would have found this really hard to answer but i also know exactly why you put this piece of music can you tell us why this song
1: this song for those who know me really well will know that i use that song for when i'm teaching class all the time so i was in my front room i was prepping class and my son jonah who is really responsive to music, just started to dance and improvise. And it's a thing now that we do to Diablo Rojo. And we we have a dance-off. And it just brings me the most joy all the time. And I'm so inspired by my seven-year-old in that room, just dancing, and he is so responsive to the music and i i just it brings me the most joy my son me dance off front room you know that's living life
0: i've seen it and it is just incredible and what i love is like you said his responsiveness to to the music like he's like a whirling dervish he comes up with these moves that you you can't teach you can't teach people
1: i think all I know is that they have an instinct to move, you know, and they're both very different. Jonah is, is it's about the rhythm. I think that's where that music comes in. Like, he, he really plays with the rhythm of it and how he moves to that, but he also likes drumming to that too. Yeah, and Isaac just loves to move and sing and be somebody else. You know, he, he wants to be Elsa, most of the time and I love that too
0: and I'd love you to just quickly tell us about what it's like being a mother in the dance industry because I know that after Jonah you went back on stage quite you know quite relatively quickly and then you were even performing when you were pregnant with Isaac
1: so I'm really lucky because I feel really supported by New Adventures and have done from the beginning of my sort of parenting and pregnancy journey. And I have been able to do many things. They, that it's been hard work. It's taken a lot of logistics and coordination and it takes a real desire and motivation to do it in order for it to happen. But New Adventures are really fantastic at supporting parents and carers who within the company it's it's difficult you know and it's not the same there's a really great parents in performing arts people do some really amazing work advocating for parents in performing arts and it's very difficult it's not a nine to five job how do you fi- find childcare when you're performing in a show at, and you have to be at work from four till half past ten every night. It's about a practice of adaptability and, you know, fluidity. And for me, it's really important. I've spent so many years doing what I love, something I'm so passionate about, that I want my children to see me doing that so that they know that that's, you know, it's possible. And, I, you know, I really want to role model that for them as well.
0: We're going to move on now, Kerry, to our quick fire round. So the answers are short and sweet and snappy. And we start with our word association.
1: Oh my goodness, I'm really nervous now. It's no, going,
0: going to be fine. Uh, so I'm going to say the name of a Matthew Bourne show and I'd like you to say the first word that comes into your head. Are you ready? No. Are you steady? Let's go. Swan Lake.
1: Adam Cooper. Carman. Death.
0: Edward is Hands. Love. Cinderella.
1: World War II. Nutcracker. Sweeties.
0: Romeo and Juliet.
1: Heartache.
0: If you could turn any story, film or book into a Matthew Bourne production, what would you pick?
1: I'm going to say Peter Pan mm. from Neverland, Lost Boys and pirates and fairies and mermaids oh yeah i'm loving it already actually and uh you know london in that time who's gonna play the dog though nan is it nana nana yeah <laughs> nana the dog
0: i'll come out of retirement <laughs> and, and be nana the dog. you heard it here first matthew <laughs> i
1: i think he could do an incredible job at that
0: i can really see it and almost like with Lord of the Flies which was a production that he that he created with Scott Ambler that took that story and had young boys that maybe hadn't experienced dance before you know there's something there isn't there about like you know the lost boys could be young people to tie together our worlds of that talent development and then the on-stage professional work
1: absolutely Mm. and our community work as well and how that all fits together
0: right we should get together and put in a proposal next question (gasps) What is one piece of advice you would give to the next generation wanting to get into the arts industry?
1: I think it's about determination. It's about working really hard, about keeping a really open mind, seeing as much as you can, experiencing as much as you can and being true to yourself, understanding your values, why you're doing what you are doing, why you want to do it. Keep going back to that. Remember, why did you start it in the first place? Because that joy, that reason, that why will carry you through.
0: If you could pass on the love of dance to somebody or a group who may not have the chance to experience it, who would it be?
1: So the empath in me is making this really tricky because I can think of so many groups and people that I would love to give the power of dance to. Absolutely everyone should understand and know the power of dance, but perhaps there's you know, there's a group of, of men out there who don't feel that they have the permission to express themselves through dance or understand the impact of what that might. Be and how that might bring them together and how much that might allow them to express themselves. There's somebody who, who isn't able to express themselves and that, that this might give them the opportunity to heal in some way. Perhaps that's not just men, that's everybody, actually. So I think anybody who feels trapped or stifled, I would love to give them the power of dance so that they can express themselves through that.
0: Dance is really a healing thing. And I just want to say a massive thank you for coming on Born to Dance, for being the joy that you are.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I had the best time chatting with you. It was really, really a joy.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, then please go check out our other episodes, which you can find on Spotify, Apple Podcasts Acast, and YouTube. If you want to know more about New Adventures, then check out the links in our show notes. I have been your host, Paul Smedhurst. This series has been produced by Hattie Moyer, and our researcher is Stephen Daly. The theme music is by Terry Davies, from the production Play Without Words. For more information about the additional music in this episode, please check the show notes. This has been Born to Dance, brought to you by New Adventures subscribe wherever you get
1: your podcasts. Bye for now.